Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. And I want to introduce you to someone uh, on the screen here. This is Chief Crowfoot. Now, that's a bad enough name, but his father's name was really awesome. Son of Paxanife, right? So his father's name was Paxanife. Like, that's not a dude you want to mess with. Maybe you want to hang out with him, but you don't want to cross him, right? And uh, Chief Crowfoot was a, a, a Native American chief in Canada. And uh, just one of the most powerful chiefs in all of Canadian history. And um, during Canada, like much like us, had many, many treaties with Native Americans and many, many agreements. And he was uh, part of the Blackfoot Confederation. And they had made many treaties with the Canadian government and had lands. But then at the advent of the railroad, just like in the United States, the railroad had it, you know, they had this great vision, this, this uh, trans-Canadian um, railroad. And so this had to go through many Indian lands. And Chief Crowfoot here was one of the chief negotiators for the Blackfoot Nation and prevented tons of bloodshed on both sides, negotiating on behalf of the Canadian Railway and the Blackfoot and bringing them together, negotiating, okay, we'll give you this land, but you're going to give us this land instead, and just was very successful in negotiating uh, the Trans-Canadian Railway. So much so that the Canadian Pacific Railway decided to honor him by giving him a lifetime railway pass. And I'm not kidding, he's wearing it, Right now, that's what you see right there. He's wearing it. And he wore it for the rest of his life because this was a badge of honor for him for successfully saving the lives of a lot of his people and preventing bloodshed of others. He wore this. But it's, it's most likely, and everybody th- believes that he never, never used it. He wore the badge. He wore the pass. But he never used it. And, I mean, this guy was legit, you know, a uh, smart guy. And negotiating on behalf of his people, but just wore this this badge, never, never used it. I think sometimes as Christians, we take God's promises and we hang them around our neck, and we know they're there, and we're we're we you know we understand God's promises and His blessings, but they just hang on our neck, and we never use them, we never count on them, we never use the blessings that God has given us. We never put our full trust and act on what he has given us, much like Chief Crowfoot, who had the rail pass but never used it, never cashed it in. Church, today, as we look at blessing, I want to tell you that God's blessings, you can take them to the bank, and you don't have to worry about him failing you, and we shouldn't be just hanging God's blessings around our neck, but we should be counting on them and acting on them. And today we'll look at the faithfulness of God to keep his promises to his people. Now, I'm sure that train pass on Chief Crowfoot's neck was always good. I'm sure it was valid. But the fact that he never used it diminished its worth. If we never count on the promises of God and step out in faith, it diminishes what he's given us. It diminishes the promise that he's given us because we're not living up to our full potential. 
So we're going to read uh, in, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. But before we do that, we're going to have a little bit of background, okay? Um, Israel had had some success in battles in the lands that God had promised them. God had promised he delivered them out of Egypt. He had brought them to the promised land. And, of course, they met some resistance because there was people in these lands. And at first, it's peaceful. You know, they ask, can we just pass through can we just pass through? And the king of the lands that they're asking to pass through says, no, you can't even pass through. And he gathered his army and he went out to fight Israel, even though they were coming in peace. They just wanted to go through. Have you ever run into this at like a big long line for something? And the line stretches, especially like at the airport and, and the line stretches way back. And all you want to do is get to Starbucks, man. And it's on the other side of the line. And when you try to like weasel through, everybody's giving you the stink eye. Right, because they think you're trying to weasel into line, and they kind of scoot up forward and they scoot back to make sure you can't through. All you want to do is get to Starbucks. That's it, right? And that's kind of where Israel is here. They just want to get through these lands to the Promised Land. Now, there's resistance in the Promised Land too, but we're not there yet. But they say, no, we're not even going to let you. We're not going to let you even go through. And they come out to battle. And guess what? They get wiped out. They get wiped out. And then there are other, other countries that come against Israel, and they get wiped out. And finally, they come to this king, Balak, or Balak, or whatever. You get it, right? However you want to pronounce it. They come to this king, and Balak sees how, how much victory they've had. He understands God is with them, so he calls the only guy he knows who can help. And this guy's name is Balaam. Balaam is known to have a kind of have a relationship with the God of Israel. It's a little um, convoluted exactly what the relationship is, but he is known as a seer or a prophet. And so Balak calls for Balaam, and he says, come here and curse these people that I may have victory over them. And Balaam says, I can only, I can only say what God tells me to say. And so he goes away he communes with the Lord. He tells the soldiers to wait, and he comes back, and he proclaims a huge blessing over God's people. So, you know, basically opposite of what Balak wanted. And this continues for many, many oracles. And we see that God's blessing here can't be taken away. So let's get in. That's the background of where we're at in 2319, and we're just going to jump in. This is what Balaam says on behalf of Israel. And I remember he's supposed to be condemning and cursing Israel, but this is what he says instead. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Everybody should have that posted up somewhere in their house. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. God does not lie. Somebody say amen. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Verse 20, Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Which I think is interesting, because there has been trouble in Israel. But here's where we're at. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a, of a king is among them. Verse 22, God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of of a wild ox, for there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now how shall it be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? I love this in verse 22. He is for them like the horns 
of a wild ox. How many have an ambition to run with the bulls? Nobody. Who's run with the bulls? Marcus has run with the bulls. Psycho. Crazy, right? Because every time they run with the bulls, you see some guy being gored, right? I mean, these bulls have horns. And like, let's, what do you want to do this weekend? I, I don't know. Ikea? Nah. Let's go run with the bulls. I mean, where does that come from? I don't know, right? But here is God fighting for them like the horns of a wild ox, right? You can't get near it. You're, it's just, it's crazy. And I wrote this down this morning as I was reviewing the scriptures, and this one's just going to be for free, okay? But when we look at every difficult situation we're in and every attack, and we dismiss it, as an attack of the enemy, we have to be very careful, church, to not also diminish God's redemptive purpose in the trials we face, right? And so, like, we get sick or something bad happens to us, and we say the enemy's really fighting us. Church, the enemy can't do anything to you that God doesn't allow. And if God is allowing it, I want to let you know there's a redemptive purpose in it. So here they are facing, they're facing challenges on every front. They're battle after battle. And they may be thinking, why are we caused, why are we caused to fight? There's a redemptive purpose in what God is doing. The challenges you're facing today, God has a redemptive purpose in it. He has caused those challenges to be allowed in your life that you might be blessed. It doesn't always feel like it in the midst of it. And we're quick to blame the enemy. And when we blame the enemy, a lot of times we dismiss God's redemptive purpose. But there is purpose in what God is doing. There is purpose in the challenges we face. So point number one that we learn here in, in 23, 19 through 23 is that he blesses through deliverance. God blesses through deliverance. He does not lie and he doesn't go back on his promises ever, ever. I would ask how many of us believe that. I'm sure there'd be a lot of amens, but when it really comes down to it, this is never really tested until we face trials. This is never really tested until we face hardship, and I mean real hardship. I don't mean losing the parking spot in the front. I don't mean somebody cutting in line in front of you at the supermarket or, or, or driving crazy in front of you. I'm talking about really being tested, death, sickness, Uh, financial ruin, these kinds of things. God is glorified through deliverance from these things, and he has redemptive purposes at work in these things. If God were anything less than 100% faithful to his word, if he was anything less than 100% truthful, if he was anything less than 100% honest, he would cease to be God. And he'd be just like us. God is not a man that he should lie. <laughs> He's not like us. And, you know, in our finite understanding, we try in our attempts to understand God, and it, because God calls, us, calls himself our father, we often liken him to one of us. And we make God very, very small. But God is not like us. God is different. He is 100% honest, 100% faithful. And not only is he 100% honest and faithful, but we can take it to the bank that is the supreme authority in all the universe. He is the one who is able to make good on every single promise. Amen? 
He is able to make good on every single promise that he has ever made to his people. He does not turn back, and we can take him at his word. God's plans are best. And so all that he says he will do, and every promise that he's made, he will keep. Remember in Exodus 3.8, where God said, I have come down to deliver them. He didn't come down to get him through. He didn't say, I've come down to get him through the Red Sea. I didn't, I didn't come down uh, so that I could send snakes among them and then save them from the snakes. He came down to deliver them into the promised land. Now, they've made some mistakes along the way, and they've delayed his promise. But his promise, nonetheless, will be fulfilled. He will bring them to the promised land, and not any of the armies of the people where he is bringing them can stand against them. Because his promise is good. This is the thing, church. God will move heaven and earth. He will part the sea. He will destroy every obstacle to fulfill his promise that he's made to you. And this alone, this, the story of the Israelites, you know, how does it relate to us? God moved on their behalf. And they were as unfaithful, as grumbling, as sinful as you are. And God is still faithful. And he brought them through it. And we should put our faith and our hope and our trust in God. Not in our education, not in our job, not that these are bad things. Not in our kids, not in our retirement plan, none of these things. Our faith, our hope, our trust should be in the living God who is able to make good on every single one of his promises. And he will keep them. And he kept them to the Israelites. He's bringing them through to the promised land. He will not let them be destroyed in the desert. Now we get to verse uh, chapter, go with me to chapter 24, 5 and 9. Now you might be wondering, well, we're going through the Bible together. How come we're skipping so much? Well, because Sunday is not the only scripture reading you're supposed to be doing this week, right? And this is not the only time we're talking about God's word. We have growth groups on midweek that meet throughout the community. We also have a devotional online that fills in all these gaps. I encourage you to be part of that as well, where you can read along with us as we go through scripture together. But we're skipping today to verse chapter 24, verses 5 through 9. Where we, where we are here in Scripture is Balak has said, okay, okay, wait a minute. I asked you to curse Israel, and now you've blessed them. Come with me over here. Like, okay, we're going to go over to this location, and I want, you to, I want you to do it again. I really want you to curse them, Balaam. I really want you to curse them. Balaam, again, confers with the Lord. He says, I can only say what God says. He goes and he prays and he, he, has, he receives a word from the Lord. And this is the word he gives him in verse 5. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. <laughs> your encampments, O Israel. I can just imagine Balak. Just imagine his face. Okay, I'm ready to hear it, man. I'm ready to hear what God has to say. I'm ready to hear this curse. And then he opens his mouth and he says, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Balak's face must have just dropped and hit the floor. Your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag. His kingdom shall be exalted. Verse 8, God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. We see this again. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones into pieces. <laughs> now Balak is getting worried, I'm sure, and pierce them through, through with his arrows. 
He crouched. He lay down like a lion, like a lioness who will rouse him who will rouse him up. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. Here we see in verse 8, some, not only do we see what God is going to do in, in Israel, but we see some allusions to Jesus. Jesus also will come as a king out of Egypt. Jesus will also come and deliver his people. He also shall rule and be as a wild ox against his adversaries. Even though he dies as a lamb, we know that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, and upon his return, he will come as our king. Jesus is, we look to Jesus here, and we see a promise even way back in Numbers, way before kings are even thought of, right? And here's God saying, I'm going to provide a king. And this king that also refers to David, right, in the line of kings that he's going to raise up for Israel. God blesses through his faithful, faithfulness. God blesses through his faithfulness. And see, he's making promises to, his, you know, Israel is totally unaware of this. Right? This is Balak. This is Balaam. He's not standing in front of all of Israel and saying this. And this makes, us, this makes me think. The trials and the tribulations we do go through, we lament them sometimes. And we get sad about them. But have you ever stopped to consider in this big spiritual world we live in, not only the big physical world, but the spiritual world, how many times God is fighting on your behalf and there are things happening that you don't even see and know and attacks that are coming that he's protecting you from and sheltering you from because you're his child? You're a child of the king, that God is at work on your behalf, and you're, you're totally unaware of it. See, this is the thing. People like the idea of coming to church. They like the idea of being in community. But when we start talking about the unseen world, we talk about angels and we talk about demons, people get a little shifty in their seat. But this is really what we're talking about. There are angels. There are demons. There is a battle for your soul. There is things happening in our world that we, are, we cannot see. But the things that we do face are for God's redemptive purposes. The attacks that come that have no redemptive purpose, I believe that he's fighting our battles for us. That he is fighting those battles. And he is protecting us. And we just, we, we just go about life unawares. One central truth we can take from this passage is God is faithful even when we are not. If we look to Romans 3.3, 3, we see this. What if someone were unfaithful? Does their faith, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Aren't you glad? And, and, and we talked about this in growth group, kind of. You know, about how when we sin, we get really full of guilt, and we really feel like maybe God's even left us or abandoned us. He's unhappy with us. Listen, God is faithful even in your unfaithfulness. God is faithful. Now, this doesn't give us an excuse. The author of Romans goes on to say this. This does not give us an excuse to continue sinning, to continue living in sin. But we can trust that even when we fall short, God does not fall short. That even when we disobey, even when we betray his trust, he does not betray our trust. He is faithful even when we are not. God kept his promise to Israel even though they were grumbling, even though they were rebels, as we talked about a few weeks ago, even though that they were engaged in idolatry at times, God is still showing his faithfulness here. God is still fulfilling his promises to Israel. No one, no one, nothing can stop God from being faithful to us, not even ourselves. Somebody say amen. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Church, our power is not in ourselves. Our strength, anything we can accomplish, it's not in ourselves. It's in God's faithfulness. It's in his faithfulness to accomplish what he said he will do. God has told us that the mission of the church is to, is to preach the gospel, is to tell everyone we know about Christ's redemptive work on the cross, about his substitutionary atonement, how he died in our place. That's our job. And he has promised to be with us in that. And matter of fact, his promise is fulfilled, and we have the evidence of his promise in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can have Christianity without the Holy Spirit, I guess. You can, think you, you, you can think you have Christianity, I should say, without the Holy Spirit, but you can't really have it without the person of the Holy Spirit. You can't really have it. And church, we have to believe that if we are faithful with what God has told us, you know, Nick came up today and he received the offering. I didn't approach him. He approached me. He said, I'd like to take the offering. I'd like to share our testimony. I said, fine. And he did that to come up and encourage you, not to extract something from you. Blessing is in obedience. And in that obedience, as we obey, we are also putting our faith forward, saying, God, I trust you, that even though I don't see a way that I can make it without this 100 bucks or 200 bucks or 300 bucks or 1,000 bucks, I'm trusting that, that you're going to provide. You're leaning on his promise. You're leaning on his promise to provide for you in giving. But we also need to lead, uh, lean on God's promises to be with us as we witness, the, as we witness, as we share the gospel with people. We need to trust that. We need to trust that God is going to use us to develop and disciple other people. We need to count on all of God's promises. We especially need to, to believe that God, Jesus is coming back for us, church. We need to believe that Jesus is coming back. And soon, and soon. I mean, I don't have a date if you're waiting, right? I don't, ha I don't have a date or a time. But when we look at to the, pro to the prophecies of Jesus' return, there's not a whole lot more that has to happen. Some would say nothing else needs to happen before his return. And the Bible tells us that it's going to be, an, uh, though we can see signs of the times, that his actual return will be like a thief in the night. Our time is short. Whether he comes back in our lifetime or not, our time on this earth is short. The work that needs to be done is short. And while we're not conquering with sword and spear, God has sent us out as soldiers. And he has sent us out as conquerors. And we are to take possession of that which God has given us. We are to be living on purpose, living on mission. You are part of Stuttgart Missional Community Church. We count on God's promises. We count on them. That God is going to do work through our faithfulness. That God is going to bless uh, our, our leaning on him and trusting him. Uh, even though we're unworthy servants, he has chosen to use us to communicate the gospel. We reflect God by keeping the promises that we make to him and others. Why is it so important that a Christian, especially Keep his or her word, because you are a reflection of Jesus. And when you don't keep your word, it casts a shadow on Jesus being able to keep his word. Christians, we should 
always, always keep our word. When you, even in small things, I'm going to pray for you, then you better be praying, right? You better be praying. When you make a promise, when you go into debt, when you do this, you know, when these kinds of things, you go enter contractual relationships with people, keep your word. Be a person of your word. And maybe hold your tongue if you're unsure if you're able to keep your word or not. Say, I'm going to do my best. If that's not good enough, I'm sorry, right? But I'm going to do my best. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. And do what you say you're going to do. Keep the promises and be a good reflection of Christ in honoring your word. Moving ahead to verse 17. We see Balaam's final oracle. Again, Balak takes him somewhere else. And I'm also reminded of Jesus' temptation in the desert here. Where, Jesus, where the devil is tempting Jesus and he's taking him from place to place and place, trying to convince him to disobey God. And here we see Balak doing the same thing with Balaam, taking him from place to place to place and saying, okay, now curse Israel for me. And of course, Balaam in verse 17 says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Here we also see we see a foretelling of King David and the, the kings of Israel, but we also see a foreshadowing of Jesus. Verse 18, Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemy shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. Verse 19, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Balaam prophesied that, that, that God would provide a king. And he also prophesied that he blesses as our conquering king. That God at this time is the king of Israel. And we know when Israel starts, he's promising now, even before they're crying out for a king, later on Israel will cry out for a king. And God's heart is broken. Because he's saying, when, when they cry out for Saul as their king, they cease to recognize God as their king. Right? They see, there's like, they want an earthly king. They want somebody they can look to. Isn't that just like us? Aren't we so given to idolatry? Aren't we so given to worship the things that we can see? Aren't we so given to follow those we can see, preachers and even good, good things, preachers, pastors? We're, we're prone to follow them more than we follow Jesus sometimes. But our allegiance is but to one king, Jesus. We have but one teacher, Jesus. We have but one Lord, Jesus. We have but one Father, Jesus. Amen. He is the head of the church. He is the head of SMCC. He's the head of Trinity. He's the head of IBC. He is the head of the church. Be wary of any church that has a leader that puts himself as the head instead of a servant. Balaam says, God's going to raise up a king. And this king is going to crush you. <laughs> At this point, I think after this one, yeah, he gets fired. And you have to admire Balaam a little bit here. And I know his standing with God is a little bit in question. If you read through the scripture, you'll see why. But here, it would be so easy just to say, yeah, curse Israel. 
I cursed them. But there was a fear of the Lord in Balaam where he could only say what God had told him to say. And he's, he just proclaims blessings. Now, the first king of Israel, Saul. Saul starts out as, a, as an okay king. And he looks the part, man. He's big. He's tall. He's strong. He stands ahead above every other Israelite. And Israel's like, this is our king. And Saul starts out pretty good. But pretty soon, Saul makes himself head of the Israel instead of God. And he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start offering my own sacrifices. I'm going to start doing my own thing. And he disobeys God. And then we have David, who is known as the greatest king in all of Israel, but yet is an adulterous murderer. Commits adultery and then murders the husband of the woman he has adultery with. Known as the greatest king in Israel's history. Still falls short. Solomon, the wisest of all kings, forsakes his wisdom, marries, intermarries tons of women from all around lands who corrupt him and, and uh, definitely are a poor influence on him and bring his kingdom to ruin. Rehoboam, another king, that the kingdom ends up being split. Then we have Israel and we have Judah. And all these kings demonstrated their weakness. See, God, even from the very beginning, wanted the best for his people. The best thing for Israel was that he be their king, not a person. Because a person will fail. A person will fall short. And with all the problems that our government, U.S., German, it doesn't matter. Pol- don't, do not put your faith, your trust, your hope in politics, people. Do not put your faith, your hope, your trust in earthly kings. Put your faith, put your hope, put your trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one to whom every one of these other kings will bow. Amen. They will bow their knee. All of their corruption will be burnt up. All of their deceitfulness, all of their, all of their thievery will be exposed before Jesus, our Lord of lords and King of kings. Serve him first. Honor him first. Don't seek what the Republican Party would do, the Democratic Party would do. Seek what Jesus would do. How would Jesus vote? What would Jesus think about this? That's our allegiance He is our king. He will never let us down. He will never let us down like Saul or David or Solomon or Rehoboam. He will never let us down like Clinton or Trump. He will never let us down. He is a bright, shining star. We can always look to him. Not nearly enough amens there. Uh, You know, because, I mean, I've been around. I know I'm getting old because now I start sounding like, people sounded when I was young, you know, they're like, oh, the, Lord, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, they're always saying that, you know, it's just go, it's going quickly. It's just going down and down and down. And now I'm that guy, right? I'm just like, and, and we will always despair when we put our faith in the systems of this world. We will always, because there's no, there, we know, we know they're just like us, but Jesus is perfect. And we need a perfect king. Israel needed a perfect king. Church, don't give up your perfect king, Jesus, for an earthly one. Keep your mind, keep your eyes, keep your heart focused on him. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says this, All the promises of God find their yes in him. That's Jesus. 
That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Every promise of God is fulfilled in our King Jesus. Every promise. We don't need anything else. Just him. So as I wrap up, I want to read one more scripture to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25 and 26 says this, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul here is quoting Psalms 110, a psalm of David that reminds the church in Corinth, when Paul writes it, of the promise that God is coming back as our conquering king. Jesus is coming back as our conquering king. And we get pictures from this from Daniel, from Matthew, from Revelation. And church, we're going we're gonna to be with Jesus. And then Jesus is going to come back. He's going to be on a white horse. He's not coming back riding on a colt. He's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as our king. And we're going to be behind him. We're going to be in his company. And we're going to fight the fight that is going to end all fighting. This battle, this great battle, this Armageddon battle, this huge war. But when I say we, I mean <laughs> we just stand behind him as he slays his enemies. And he proclaims victory over sin, death, and the grave, over all the earth. And sin is done away with, pain is done away with, suffering is done away with. All of that that sin has brought into the world is gone. He is our king. We can never forget this. We have to constantly remember this. Because if we forget, as I sometimes am prone to do as well, we start living for this life. We start holding on to everything that this life has to offer. And this life is just a shadow. I mean, a poor reflection of the life that is to come. The promise of eternal life through our King Jesus, it's not something that's going to be fulfilled. It's something that has been fulfilled. Amen? Through his resurrection, this is why the resurrection is so important. Some people would say, well, if the resurrection didn't happen, would you still follow Jesus? No, everything, everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then he's not God. And if he's not God, then he can't raise us from the dead. And there is no eternal life. Everything hinges on the resurrection. We'll talk more about that in a month as we enter into Easter and, and the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But he is faithful and he has proven to us that he is able over and over and over again to keep his promises and the resurrection is that proof. So what do we do with this? What do we do? We have to remember every day that God is faithful to give us eternal life and that we, we can live life unhindered, unhitched from sin through what Jesus has done for us. And the greatest way for us to be a blessing in the world is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't solve, you know, we cannot fix poverty throughout the world. We can't fix it. We can't fix the problem. We can't fix corruption. We can't fix the problem of sin. We, we can't do it, right? We can't do it no matter how hard we try. If you gave 90% of your income away, 
right? You still couldn't fix the problem. You couldn't do it. But what we can do is we can preach the gospel. And even people who remain relatively poor will one day be rich. Do you believe that? Amen. I believe that. I believe that, okay? I believe that. that. It doesn't matter what I sacrifice in this world. It doesn't matter what I give away. It doesn't matter because one day I'll be rich in him. And not rich in material things. Material things will lose their value, right? I mean, I would like to think when I go to, I mean, you know, we all think about this, right? When we go to heaven, what's heaven going to be like? What's, well, heaven is just temporary, number one. Our time with Jesus is temporary. Then one day we're going to come back to the new heaven and new earth. So you can kind of imagine that. Our eternity in the new heaven and new earth. Are there golf courses, right? How big are the bass, right? The bass have to be huge, right? I mean, I'm talking about it. And I'm going to have, like, the biggest boat, and, you know, it's going to be awesome. But heaven's reward, heaven's blessing is not the things. It's the person. It's Jesus. And so this is why people who have a hard time worshiping Jesus now, who have a hard time lifting their hands and raising their voices and and singing praises to God and living their lives and abandon to him, I don't know if they're going to be very comfortable in heaven, actually. I'm not even sure that's where you want to go because that's what heaven's about. It's about worshiping Jesus. It's about honoring him, and he is the light. There's no more sun, people. He is the light. Man, I almost got a little crazy right there, right? (laughs) But do you understand what I'm talking about? And so, you know, maybe we're a little, you know, excitable. Maybe we're a little emotional. But this is just, a little bit of what heaven is going to be like, where he is worshiped constantly. And just to be in his presence is the fulfill, all of the fulfillment we need. That's pretty awesome, church. And he is faithful to keep his promises. You can trust in that. You can take that to the bank. Because he is not a man that he should lie or break his promises. He is 100% truthful. And we, as his children, are 100% blessed. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.